All right, here we go with the new and better podcast, episode seven, a new and better way to pray. Here's the tease. I hope you're excited to discover there's a masculine model for friendship with God. No doilies necessary. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital booyah base. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually accomplished 2,000 years ago. A new covenant, a better covenant, based on better promises. So, check your religion at the door. Grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the new and better podcast. It stands to reason that if Jesus ushered in a new covenant based on better promises, and he did, that he also inaugurated a new and better way to pray. And you know what? He did. So today's episode, some keys to new and better praying. You know, we laid the groundwork for this in the last episode where I unpacked what I call the law of heart confidence found in 1 John chapter 3. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we know that we've received what we've asked. Now to go deeper, we'll jump forward one chapter and look at 1 John chapter 4. Here's John 4 verses 7 and 8. Those who are loved by God let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God for God is love. So I think I was six years old when I uh, just memorized my very first Bible verse in Sunday school. And afterward, I proudly recited it for my parents. Well, I discovered later that it was only a fragment of today's verse, a piece of 1 John 4, 8, that I had learned. God is love. But it was a wonderful way to begin my understanding of God's nature and character. I've written more than a million words about God over the ensuing five decades, yet I'm not sure I can improve on that three-word sermon even today. God is love. It's what defines him, describes him, moves him. Yet there are many strains of Christianity that seem to delight in portraying God as a fierce, wrathful judge king, searching for tiny reasons to disqualify his subjects from receiving any of his blessings, while simultaneously watching for opportunities to dole out punishments. Here's wonderful news. The ruler who sits upon the throne of the universe is neither a cruel tyrant nor an angry, vindictive monarch demanding to be appeased. He is, above all, a father, a good father, and as such finds great joy in blessing his children. He longs to show us favor and delights in our well-being. When blood-washed believers approach that glorious throne and look into the face of the mighty one who sits upon it, they find nothing but perfect love there. Not anger, not annoyance, not disappointment. Now, absorbing that truth into your deepest being is a major key to breakthrough praying. Andrew Murray, the amazing 
South African minister and a man who prayed with remarkable power once wrote, quote, Look up and see our great God upon his throne. He is love and filled with an unceasing and inexpressible desire to communicate his goodness and blessedness to all his creatures. He longs and delights to bless. End quote. It's true, you know. God's wrath against sin has been utterly spent. It was poured out upon his own son at the cross. God is love personified, and he delights in blessing and helping and rescuing and redeeming. May his spirit open the eyes and ears of your spirit today and reveal the height, depth, and breadth of God's love for you. When he does, you'll enter his throne room joyfully and with a heart filled with gratitude. You'll pray with confident assurance and expectancy, which is basically the very definition of faith. And according to Jesus, faith moves mountains. See Mark 11, 23 and 24. In other words, come with boldness. In fact, royal boldness. That's the message of Ephesians 3, 11 and 12. In the Passion Translation, this perfectly wise plan, that is to redeem and restore mankind and the world, was destined from eternal ages to be fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ, so that now we have boldness through him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Now, there are some powerful, evocative words and phrases in these verses. Boldness, free access as kings, complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. And this is how we are to come to God. Again, we explored this truth at length in the previous episode of this podcast, the heart confidence episode. It's impossible to overemphasize how important it is. Here's a contrasting image that may help you grasp what this posture looks and feels like. Nearly everyone can recall from their early school years the dread that accompanied being called to the principal's office. As adults, being summoned unexpectedly to the boss's office often triggers similar waves of apprehension, anxiety, and even fear. Sadly, many believers adopt this same nervous mindset when they contemplate approaching their Heavenly Father for help, guidance, or comfort. They tend to avoid the very one of whom Jesus said, with him nothing is impossible. That's Luke one thirty-seven. What a tragedy this is. Dear one, the ruler who sits upon the throne of the universe is not a grumpy principal or a demanding hard-to-please employer. The faithful one who chose you and made you his own is neither a cruel tyrant nor an angry, vindictive monarch demanding to be appeased. No, Jesus taught us to view him as a father, a good father, and as such, he finds great joy in seeing and blessing his children. He longs to show them favor and delights in our well-being, and what's more, through his brilliant plan, flawlessly executed in the birth, death, resurrection, and royal ascension of his son, Jesus, you've become both a priest and a king. In the words of 1 Peter 2.9, you are a member of a, quote, royal priesthood. 
Now, in biblical terms, priests are those who can access and engage God directly on behalf of others. Of course, royal needs no explanation. And as Ephesians 3, 11 and 12 explicitly stated, we enjoy free access as kings, royal priests. Now, such audacious boldness in approaching God runs totally counter to the religious training most of us received. Many of us were taught to slink into his presence on our bellies, cowering with fear, and then only after a good long session of self-examination, confessing and repenting. I certainly was. I'm grateful for my Baptist upbringing, but it did me a great disservice in one respect. I was taught that a holy God could not abide the presence of sin, indeed that it was abhorrent to him, and therefore, if I tried to come to him in prayer in a time of need with unconfessed sin in my life, well, I was wasting my time. The door of access was locked to me. From childhood, it was deeply ingrained into my thinking that yes, when I was born again, all my sins up to that moment had been washed away. I was forgiven and issued an irrevocable ticket to heaven. And I was told that in spiritual terms, I was issued a set of spotless white robes on that day I was saved. But from that point forward, every time I sinned, I essentially soiled those white robes with a splotch of filth or yuck. I could wash those robes clean again, though, with a season of self-examination, confession, and repentance. I was pointed to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a wonderful promise. So for much of my life as a young Christian, I knew I was supposed to spend time with God and I frequently wanted to go to him for help in times of need or trouble, but the very thought of approaching him was halted, arrested by the thought, well, what about my unconfessed sin? There were all the ways I knew I'd fallen short, plus... I was sure there were even more ways I'd offended God that I wasn't even aware of or had forgotten. Well, that meant never simply running to God with boldness and confidence. Ever. Oh, how I wish I'd known what I'm now explaining to you today. My first few Bibles just automatically fell open to Psalm 51, David's song of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I wish someone had explained to me that Jesus' blood washed away the guilt of all my sins, past, present, and future, and that with him I received his righteousness, his obedience, his pleasingness and acceptableness to God. Oh, how I wish someone had pointed me to the truths of Ephesians 3, 11, and 12, which we looked at a moment ago, along with 1 John 1, 9 which declares that bold confidence before God does not spring from my worthiness, my merit, or my qualifications. No, I have this free access to God's presence and power because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Child of the King, if you're chronically timid in your approach to your father, just take it as a sign that you need to increase your confidence in Christ's faithfulness. A blood-washed royal priest like you need never hesitate to approach your father. With him is where you belong. And he's 
always delighted to see you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you increase your confidence, not in yourself, but in Jesus' faithfulness. Because of him, you are of the royal blood of Jesus Christ. So you can be bold. And here's the best news. You can deploy your free access as royalty and as a priest to intercede on behalf of others, your loved ones, your friends. As a priest of the Most High God, you can connect them to his goodness and his power. Now, just ahead, more keys to a new and better way to pray, including a little foray into theoretical physics and the fabric of space-time. But first, page two. Well, my most recent devotional, Praying Grace for Women, has been out there in the wild for a couple of months now, and I'm beginning to hear from women who received it, and for the most part, no angry complaints so far, and no demands for a refund. On the contrary, what I'm hearing is very similar to the feedback about its predecessor devotional, Praying Grace, specifically that it's profoundly encouraging and that you'll want to go through it over and over to really root your identity in the truths you'll find in it. The 55 devotions are divided into four sections designed to help you receive grace for rest, grace for intimacy with God, grace for peace, and grace for breakthrough. If you have no need for more supernatural rest, intimacy with God, peace, or breakthrough, then ignore this book. You don't need it. Otherwise, run your clicky finger over to your favorite online bookseller and grab a copy or two right now. Now, back to keys to a new and better way to pray here on the New and Better Podcast. We're talking about keys to a new and better way to pray, which oddly enough brings me to the laws of physics. Now, miss a step on a stairway and you'll get a quick reminder that the law of gravity is never repealed. An airplane with a functioning set of engines can exploit other natural laws to overcome gravity for a while, but eventually those engines will need to be refueled, otherwise gravity will assert itself once again. And here in the natural world where we live in our natural material bodies, we are all quite bound to the laws of physics governing things like space and time. Space? Well, we can only be in one place at one time. Time? The past is gone. We live in the present moment, and the future comes at us steadily and relentlessly, one second at a time. Time can neither be hurried nor stopped. The dimension of the Spirit is something different, though. Jesus revealed God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and truth. John 4, 24. God is also eternal. That means that the realm of the Spirit lies outside the natural bounds of space and time. Remember when John, in the opening verses of the book of Revelation, wrote, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Revelation 1.10. Well, John's body was on an island in the Mediterranean, but his consciousness stepped over into another realm, a place outside the confining bounds of space and time. He was, in his words, in the spirit. Here's where our privilege of prayer gets very exciting. You probably know that according to scripture, we are three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. You've probably heard it said that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in 
a body. Yes, you live in a body, but the real you is a spirit. As a born-again believer, you're constantly united with the Holy Spirit. And the most important part of you lives constantly in connection with things that lie outside the constraints and confines of our natural space and time box. The born-again believer actually lives with a foot in two worlds, one in the natural and one in the spiritual. So when you pray, in a sense, you can actually step over into the realm of the Spirit with the Holy Spirit. And when you pray that way, you're not bound by nature's stifling laws of space or time. Distance means nothing. You can travel anywhere and impact events and influence the circumstances of others. And standing with God outside of time itself means you can pray into your own future and the futures of your loved ones. In fact, Jesus said one of the roles of the Spirit is to reveal things to come. John 16, 13. When you understand these truths, prayer is instantly transformed from a dry religious duty into an extraordinary adventure. It goes from being a grim box to check off of your religious to-do list to an exciting mission quest upon which the Holy Spirit himself wants to serve as your guide. See Romans 8, 26 and 27. Yes, you inhabit a physical body, but you are a spirit. So, in union with the Spirit of God in prayer, you can travel the world and travel through time, partnering with God in prayer so you can step into eternity and change circumstances, improve the lives of those around you, and make the world better. What a privilege. What an adventure. And speaking of adventure, we men are drawn to it, yet we as a group have not been drawn to prayer at the rates of our sisters in Christ. We just don't seem as interested in it. Most of the best-selling books on prayer lately have been written by women for women. Why is that? And for several generations now, the people most likely to show up when a pastor calls a prayer meeting are women. Again, why? Well, I think I know. I think the church as a whole has presented men with a feminine model of prayer and friendship with God. Mm-hmm. Now hear me out here. Don't tune me out. This is very important and frankly pretty cool. A few years back, I attended a marriage enrichment seminar in which the speaker outlined some of the general differences between men and women. By the way, in general terms, women and men are different. That has only become a dangerous assertion and a cancelable offense. Uh, I'm going to back that up. Oh, by the way, in general terms, women and men are different. Now, that has only recently become a dangerous assertion a cancelable offense. Nevertheless, God created both the masculine and the feminine as beautiful but distinct partial expressions of his divine image and likeness. Anyway, this marriage expert was helping husbands and wives better understand each other by exploring their general differences. And the differences he mentioned rang true to me, but one in particular grabbed my attention and sent my thoughts galloping off in an unexpected direction. He said, accurately I think, 
Women generally grow and maintain friendships by talking together, but men usually grow and maintain friendship by doing things together. Now, I'd never heard that articulated quite that way before, but the more I pondered it, the more I became convinced of its truth. It was certainly true for my wife and me, and of most of the people we knew. Yes, I know this doesn't describe everyone. It's just a generally true thing. My amazing bride spends significant amounts of time on the phone while I avoid phone conversations at all costs. When forced to converse, I keep it as short as possible. She frequently schedules talk-filled coffees and lunches to keep her key relationships nourished and healthy, whereas my friends and I are more likely to schedule a golf or fishing outing, watch a game on TV, or make a joint trip to the home improvement store. Yes, talking invariably happens in the course of the doing things with my friends, but the talking is a, it's an organic byproduct of the doing. I then thought about how I and most men we're taught to have a relationship with God or be a friend of God. I was told relationship with God meant sitting down and talking with him, sharing my feelings, and that these conversations needed to last a long time. Could you not tarry one hour? Wow, I thought we, we might as well have told men to include a pot of chamomile tea and lace doilies in their quiet time. Sitting there in that marriage conference, a question hit me like a thunderbolt. Have Christian men been presented a feminine model for being a friend of God? I suspect so. Well, throughout the rest of this section of this uh, podcast, we're going to explore ways to have relationship with God by doing things with him. To be sure, some of that doing will be in your private place of prayer, guys. But there, you can run boldly up to your father and ask, Father, what do you want to do today? And you know what? He'll answer you. Now together, the two of you may do battle for your family. Yield yourself and he may take you by the Spirit to some far corner of the world where, where you'll partner with him to advance his plans and purposes. Together, you'll fix things. Explore things, fight as enemies, fish for souls, fight for your family. And the doing together need not end when you leave the place of prayer, guys. He is with you all through the day, eager to partner with you in everything that comes your way. Didn't Jesus call the Holy Spirit the helper? And yes, you'll talk with your father, but that talking will be the organic byproduct of the doing together. I hope you're excited to discover there's a masculine model for friendship with God. No doilies necessary. Just come boldly, confidently up to him like the royal priest you are, enrobed with Christ himself and his righteousness, and ask, Father, what do you want to do today? I'm up for anything. I'm just overwhelmed at the privilege of knowing you, working with you, of having been restored back to friendship with you, and I can't wait to get to know you better as we explore, repair, hunt, fish, and do battle together. Okay, let's wind this down and recap with some takeaways. 
this new and better way to pray is to just come to your Father with bold confidence. Not confidence in yourself, but confidence in Jesus' finished work on your behalf. Do you see the difference? Many believers were raised in well-meaning religious traditions that emphasized a certain type of humility. And don't misunderstand, genuine humility is an important spiritual quality. And being authentically humble flows naturally from an awareness of just how utterly powerless and helpless and lost we are apart from Jesus. That kind of humility, the right kind, comes from just being mindful of the truth that Jesus declared to his first disciples. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. However, many Christians have been taught that even in Christ, they remain worthless, miserable, lowly, sinful scum. Now, this toxic brand of humility causes us to pray like beggars, not like royal priests. We don't come boldly to the throne of grace, as the writer of Hebrews exhorted. Instead, we slink into God's presence on our bellies, if we come to him at all. Christians with this shame-centered mindset tend to instinctively avoid engaging the Father who loves them, and they tend to have difficulty receiving from him when they do come. A new covenant understanding of the believer's authority and position in Jesus will lead you to a very different mindset and into a whole new kind of praying, a more effective kind, a new and better kind. Pray and declare today, not like a beggar, but like a commander to whom the king has delegated supernatural authority. God has given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will injure you. That's Luke 10, 19. As you encounter the works of the enemy, you can exercise that authority and wisely and confidently extend love and freedom to others, pushing back darkness wherever you go. So, in closing, pray this prayer with me. Father, I come boldly to your throne of grace to receive help, and I will move through this day in the authority you've gifted me in Jesus. What I have freely received from you, I will freely share. I will give encouragement. I will give mercy. I'll share with others the life and power you have deposited in me. Well, that's it for this outing. Join me here next time for the new and better podcast. I'm David Holland.